I guess put it right here. So if you're missing a little cute little star necklace, come and get it. Um, all right. Well, uh, once again, I'd like to echo what Adam was saying. I appreciate you braving the elements and, and, and coming out this morning. Uh, we are in the midst uh, of a series on uh, looking at some of the people involved in the Christmas story. And it's really easy, of course, you know, we, to... Uh, to feel like we know just about everything there is to know about these people because we're so familiar with the Christmas story and the, and the people that are, were involved. But uh, if you've caught any of the Saturday nights uh, in the last couple weeks or, or last Sunday, uh, I think you've, well, I don't think, if you've caught any of them, whether live or if you've been on the audio, ar- the audio archive, then you've, uh, then you've really caught some really good teaching, Justin. Uh, started it off, and then Ray had such a good word last Sunday, and then uh, I haven't had a chance, I was out of town, but I haven't had a chance to hear Andrea's word, but in Ray Hollenbach's words, it was the best teaching he had ever heard on Mary. Yeah, and I'd say Ray's heard a thing or two, so uh, if you weren't here last night, I definitely encourage you to get online and check out some of these, uh, some of these messages. Cool? That's your assignment, that's your homework. All right, uh, today... Uh, we're going to be looking at Joseph, all right? So last night was Mary, so we thought we'd keep them together uh, this weekend. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Joseph. And uh, Seth, you can go ahead and put, uh, put Matthew 1, uh, 16 uh, through 25. You can just kind of keep it up there for a little bit. But one of the first things uh, that we see about Joseph, uh, he's called, and it, and it may vary from translation to translation, uh, but one of the first things we see about Joseph is he's mentioned as either a righteous man or, or an upright uh, man. All right, so it's pretty pretty high praise, obviously, to be called a righteous man or, or an upright man. And so uh, I think it would be easy to maybe try and handle you know this series with just trying to maybe find some new interesting historical uh, facts. And there's nothing wrong with that to try and present some new information. But uh, what I'm really after today is I. Don't, I want to try and find something we can actually apply. You know, we've heard some. You know, we've heard the uh, the the tale. You know, we've heard the you know the Christmas story a million times. Uh, but I really feel like uh, in the life of Joseph, we can see some things that we can actually take uh, and and apply to our lives. And so that's what I'm after today. So if if Joseph is called a righteous man or a man who is upright, then stands to reason that he's a guy that we can maybe learn a little something from, you know? And so what I want to look at is I want to look and see what was so righteous about Joseph, what was so upright about the way he lived and, and, and who he was. And so there aren't, you know, a ton of verses committed to Joseph, but there are a few, and, and what there are, I think, are very telling. We have to dig a little bit, but I think, uh, I think we can really see some interesting uh, things here. And there's three things in particular. If you're a note-taker... Uh, there are three main things that I want to hit today that, uh, that I see in the life of Joseph. Uh, the first thing that stands out to me is that Joseph lived in a way that he wasn't afraid to go against the cultural norms or the cultural expectations. He, he wasn't afraid to go counter to the culture in which he lived in. Uh, so that's the first thing. I'm going to go ahead and give you all three. It's a preview. Uh, the second thing... Uh, that stands out to me about Joseph is that he modeled faithfulness to the Son of God. As, as the Father, as the, the caretaker of the Lord Jesus, he modeled faithfulness to his Son and to his family. Uh, that stands out to me. And then the third thing that I'll hit is Joseph really seemed to have a really good concept of kingdom Adoption. Adoption's a big deal in the kingdom. And so Joseph really seemed to have a, a really good grasp on what kingdom adoption was. So those are the three things. So we're going to dig into those, uh, those three a little bit and see what we, can, uh, what we can find. So first of all, in Matthew 1, uh, and we're going to look specifically at verse 18 and 19, uh, we're, we're picking up here in the part of the story where Joseph is finding out that... Uh, Mary is, is expecting, okay? Which uh, the startling part about that is, you know, they're not married yet, and they certainly haven't been together yet in the biblical sense. 
<laughs> uh, so this is a big deal, okay? So we're going to see right away an example of how Joseph uh, goes against cultural expectations. All right, let's uh, read this verse here. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. There we see the description there. He's a righteous man. And did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. All right, now obviously we know where the story goes. We know that, you know, uh, that, that he has a dream and he decides, of course, you know, to, to go ahead and marry her. But what I actually want to focus on is, for this point, is right here before he even found out um, that this was actually a thing of the Lord. Um, because he was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. All right, let's think about this. Let's, let's think about the context a little bit. Uh, Joseph was a carpenter. Um, we see later in Matthew, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later as well, but we see later in Matthew when Jesus returns to Nazareth, um, people say, isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't that the carpenter? What we can see from that is that, that Joseph had a reputation, okay? Jesus comes back years later and people know, hey, this is, this is the son of the carpenter. You know, this is from, he's from that family. So uh, what I think, I don't think it's a stretch to, to see that Joseph had a reputation. He was known. And so I think that he had something actually of value to protect in terms of his reputation. And so culturally speaking, Joseph had every right not to just end the relationship, but to even take dramatic measures to distance himself from Mary, okay? It would have been acceptable for him to really, you know, e- expose her as a means of, you know, maybe lifting him, himself up, distancing himself from her presumed sin, right? So he really could have done that. And it would have made sense, right? Again, he had a reputation. He would have been technically in the right. It wasn't uncommon in a situation like that. He could have brought her out to the public square and really, you know, um, shamed her, okay? But he didn't do that. And we see, you know, in this verse, this is connected to the, to the fact that he was a righteous man. And so he, he caught on to something of value here in how he decided to, to treat Mary in this situation. So... What, what does that mean for us? Okay. What can we take from the fact that Joseph, even though he had you know, the, the, um, the right to shame her, that he chose to do it in a, in a different manner? And I'm, gonna, I'm going to um, uh, sort of speculate just a little bit um, on this as well. Because, you know, Joseph, he got word about her pregnancy. And I'm thinking, Mary, you know, this was probably a pretty tight circle of people that knew that Mary was pregnant, right? That's probably not something that you're going to blab around. So I think that, you know, these were people not just knew that she was pregnant, but, but knew the story, you know, knew that, you know, that the Lord had, had told her, you know, that, you know, that this, was, uh, this child was, you know, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so I imagine... You know, that whoever broke this news to Joseph probably shared that with her, okay? Now, this is before he had the dream from the Lord. And so I'm, I'm speculating a little bit here. I'm going to be honest with you. This is just in, in my head. But if that had been me, not only would I have been disappointed that my uh, fiancé was pregnant, but I probably would have been a little irked that they had concocted this ridiculous excuse I mean, is that a stretch to, to think that that's possible, that whoever broke the news to her, to him, was probably in that inner circle, and they probably knew the story. They told Joseph. I, I think what's, what probably happened is that you know, they, they shared that piece of information with him. And so I'm thinking on multiple levels, Joseph had a reason to be offended. He had a reason to be angry. And he had a reason to want to distance himself as far and as dramatically as possible for Mary, and yet he chose to treat her with a a real measure of kindness. What does that mean for us? Well, I, I think that we have a tendency to 
you know, if, if we've been offended, if we've been hurt, if we have a relationship of any kind that ends, as long as we feel like we're the offended party and we're in the right, then often we interpret that as a green light to really rake that person over the coals and to shame that person. And so what we see here is something totally different modeled uh, by Joseph, is that even when we're wrong, even when we're wronged, that there's still value. There's still something to be said about using discretion. There's still something to be said about um, not going out of your way to shame that person. So if you're in a relationship and it goes south, and maybe you know someone has been uh, you know, careless and, and, and has maybe broken your heart, how dramatically do we want to air that person's mistakes and their shortcomings? If we're involved in a church and the pastor takes a position you know, that, that we don't agree with or says something, maybe, maybe, and maybe even earnestly, maybe the pastor even makes a mistake or something like that, and we decide we want to leave. Sometimes we'll have a tendency to see how many people we can gather with us, you know, to our side and, and either take them with them or maybe even worse, leave them there and, and sow, you know, seeds of, of dissension. Or maybe you've had a, you know, a business relationship that went south. You know, how, how much do we want to go out of our way to make sure everybody knows that this, you know, this person's a, a scoundrel? And what it really takes here, I, I think what we need to, to consider is how important our motives are, you know, what... What is our motive? You know, if we're going to speak out, you know, against someone that's wronged us in some way, what is our motivation? You know, is it revenge? You know, is that really of the Lord? You know, if, it, if it's something, you know, that's being driven by something like that, then chances are we're just going to do more harm than, than we are good. But it really takes discernment. Listen, I know that there's a time, I know that there's a time, you know, maybe to extend warnings or graces to people. If I, if I you know, take my car somewhere to get it fixed and I just totally get ripped off, you know, clearly ripped off by whoever. And I have a, a friend that says, hey, I need to go get my car fixed. I'm thinking about taking it here. Well, you know, yeah, maybe it's appropriate to say, hey, this is my experience. Be careful, you know. Or somebody did you wrong in a relationship and, you know, somebody's considering getting into a relationship with that person. Hey, this is, you know, just be aware. You know, I'm, I'm not saying there's not a time and a place to extend warnings, but uh, but we really need to use some, some discernment, some discretion. And consider, Joseph, again, that he, you know, there's no indication here that he was going to cover for Mary. There's no indication that he was going to, you know, lie about the scenario. I mean, he was going to take the appropriate action. He was going to dissolve his relationship. But I think what we see here is that he was going to do it in a way that wasn't over the top, I, you know, I'm going to you know, get her back for this, this offense. You see what I'm, what I'm saying here? And so what we see in Joseph is we see you know, a person that's willing to go against what the cultural expectation or even what culturally is called for um, in, in a situation like that. Dr. Ray, uh, we were talking about this uh, the other day, and he, he put it in a really interesting way. You know, sometimes you know, if, you, if you go... To a, to a car lot, and you you know you look around at the at the vehicles, and you decide that you know you don't want what they have, or, or it doesn't work out, or whatever. That's fine. But is it necessary to key all the cars as you walk off the lot? Well, that's pretty insightful by Doctor Ray. But that really is what we do sometimes, in you know, in particular relationships that go wrong. And I think there's other you know layers of wisdom here from Joseph. Uh, from Joseph, what we can see sometimes we forget how bent the Lord's heart is towards reconciliation, towards redemption. What if we have a relationship that doesn't work out in whatever field? You know, we've mentioned a few examples. So it doesn't work out, and, you know, and we, we shame this person as much as we can and, and do everything we can to let everyone know how bad this person failed. Number one, what if things come to light and we realize, oops, I was a little bit wrong. Now we've got major egg on our face, right? So that's part of the, <laughs> that's part of the wisdom right there. You know, what if, 
what if, you know, there's misunderstanding? What if things weren't quite as you thought they were? Somebody, you know, let's go back to the example where maybe somebody breaks your heart, so you trash them as much as possible. Can we not conceive of the possibility that at some point the Lord would want to redeem them, pers- redeem that person? And but maybe we've gone gone so far out to get our message out that you know that, that person may really be uh, may have very little opportunity to you know to even have a relationship because their reputation may just be so totally you know, devastated. Other things that we've shared. So the important thing here is to consider our motive and to use some discernment. Because, yeah, there's, there's a time and a place for warning. There's certainly a time and a place for justice. But we need to check our motives. Are we out for revenge? Are we out just to shame people? And I think we see this in, in uh, Joseph's life, is that his motivation obviously was right. And here's the thing is that I think this is the kind of thing that really tends to separate the righteous, is that you know, sometimes there's a way that, that's okay, that's understandable, that's in some way justifiable. But then sometimes there's just a better way. And that's what the righteous are after. They're after, you know, what's the best way to handle this situation? You know, maybe it's okay if, you know, if I tell people it's true, you know. Which I think that's interesting too, you know. Sometimes we get into these areas of gossip and slander and, and, uh, and we think, well, you know, as long as it's true what I'm saying, you know, then it's okay. And I'm, I'm not going to try and define to you what those things are. Because I think it's kind of hard to decide, okay, at what point does it become gossip? At what point does it become slander? For me, I can't exactly define it, but in my heart of hearts, I I know when I'm in it. In my heart of hearts, when I'm talking to someone, if I'm honest with myself, I know when I've gone into an area that's really more gossip or really more slander. Framing things as a prayer request doesn't help. (laughs) Yeah, we need to pray for Sally. Yep, she's, uh, she's a sleaze. We need to pray for her. Lord, help her in her sleaziness. Lord, bless her sleazy heart. Let's pray for her. Yeah, whether you're, whether you're the deliverer or whether you're the recipient, in your heart of hearts, usually you know when you've crossed that, crossed that area. And so what's really called for here is discernment. What's really call, called for here is a, is a motive check. And I think this is something we can take from, from Joseph. We need to be willing to go against the cultural expectation of if you, this eye of an eye mentality, if you wrong me, then your name's going to be mud. Um, something else that we see uh, from Joseph, and I don't, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this one, but um, let's see. Uh, let's move on to the next, uh, uh, going down to... Verse 20, you know, the Lord has appeared to him and, you know, the Lord has, you know, told him the situation. You know, don't be afraid to marry her. You know, this, this is what's going on, all right? And so, you know, Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord said. He took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. All right, so let's think about that for just a second. All right, he has a dream. It sounds like a pretty immediate response. You know, he goes and he, and he marries her. It doesn't give us the exact timetable, but... The implication here is that he acts pretty quickly. He marries her. But then he waits until the baby's born. Talk about counterculture. Let me see. How many, like, you know, college, college guys do we have in here? Young, you know, 20s, young, you know, not, not married yet. Not married yet, Right? How many of you would like to wait more than even 24 hours? You don't have to raise your hands, because I think we all know the answer. Joseph had every right. We don't see anything here where he was commanded not to be with her. I don't, I don't believe that's anywhere. But I think what Joseph was after, he wanted to honor the Lord. And even though, you know, we're probably talking a really inner circle of people that he would even know. I mean, who all is going to know that he's waiting until the baby... <laughs> You know, it's probably going to be a pretty inner circle, but I think there's a recognition here by Joseph that, you know, this is something the Lord's doing. I want to honor this as the Lord's, you know, son, and I'm going to honor what he's doing, and I'm going to wait, even though he had every right not to. 
So again, I think we see an example of what would be acceptable, what would be you know, culturally expected, what would maybe even be right and okay. Joseph saw something better, and he went against the culture. His sexuality was completely submitted to the Lord. If you really want you know, a good, good word on uh, you know, submitting your sexuality to the Lord, you know, get on the archive. Adam had a series a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but it definitely would be worth your time. But we see two examples here of how Joseph was not afraid to go against the cultural expectations. And I think that's something that we can take from his life. All right, cool. So that's the first thing. Not afraid to go against the, the culture and the expectations and the norms. Uh, the second thing I want to talk about is how Joseph really modeled faithfulness before the Son of God. I'm a parent. Okay? I've got you know, two little girls. And if I'm being really honest with you, there, there are times where I feel pretty intimidated, if not overwhelmed, at the responsibility that I have to my children, okay? To raise them well, you know, I want to be a good dad. I want to raise them to love the Lord, yeah? You know, I want to model good things for them. And I feel really inadequate sometimes. And, you know, I, and I don't want to be, I don't want to offend anyone, but, you know, my kids are the best. <laughs> We're expecting a formal announcement any day. Our kids are the greatest kids. No, you know, I, I love my kids, and they're, they're great kids, and I want to do a good job, and I want to be a good parent. And if I find it intimidating, can you imagine having the Son of God dropped in your lap? <laughs> Raise him. Uh, what do you do with that? <laughs> I can only imagine how that must have felt. Yeah, overwhelming. Um, what we can do, though, is we can, I, I, you know, it doesn't really talk about really how he felt, but what we can see is what he did. And what he did was he modeled faithfulness, even to the Son of God. He modeled faithfulness. In other words, he did what he could. Yeah. And, uh, and let, let's broaden the... the the circle here. I think that we can apply any of these things that I'm about to share. I think we can apply. Let's use a context that it's beyond just the, the home, you know, a parent, child. I mean, if the Lord's giving you anyone, all right, if He's giving you kids, someone that looks up to you, if He's giving you an apprentice or an intern or, you know, any, any, anybody that you even have the opportunity to speak in their lives, I think you can apply these things, okay? And so in any of those situations, you can find yourselves being a little intimidated or feeling inadequate to think, what do I have to give this person? Fill in the blank. Okay? So this is, you know, whether you're a parent or not, we can all find ourselves in this position where we feel inadequate to deliver the goods to the person that's looking up to us. So what did Joseph do exactly? Okay? Um, first of all, he modeled being both a hearer and a doer of the word and of the Lord. If we see, uh, if we look in, in Matthew, uh, we see four examples right off the bat. These are just the ones that are recorded. You know, I imagine Joseph had a life of hearing from the Lord, but we see four examples of Joseph hearing from the Lord in dreams. So he gets these dramatic dreams from the Lord and he responds radically, he's obedient. To what the Lord tells him to do. Uh, let's see. Uh, after he considered, you know, uh, divorcing Mary, angel of the Lord appeared to him. It's up on the wall here. In a dream, said Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Uh, she will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save uh, his people from their sins. And then, uh, and then if you skip down to verse 24... When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Uh, then if we skip uh, to Matthew 2, 13, we see some of the other examples. Now, I'm probably not going to read all of them, but um, let's look at verse 13, Matthew two thirteen. 
when they, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is after Jesus had been born. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And then we see two other dreams that involve, you know, take, you know, take the child. Now it's safe to go back, but don't go here. Another dream says don't go here, go here. And so he ends up uh, in Nazareth. So a series of dreams. Joseph hears from the Lord, and he's obedient. And so even from Jesus' birth, what we're seeing is that Joseph is modeling the importance of knowing the Lord's voice, listening, hearing, and doing. And he's modeling that uh, for, you know, for his family. Knowing your voice is really important. Knowing the Lord's voice is really important and part of that equation. We'll, we'll talk about dreams since that's the context. Um, many years ago, um, I don't have a whole lot of vivid dreams. I think I've had maybe a couple of dreams from the Lord in my life. That isn't the way the Lord tends to speak to me. Some of you, I know you, you get dreams all the time, maybe from the Lord. I did have one really vivid dream one time that I was being chased by a giant donut. I don't think that was from the Lord. Just today, someone dropped a donut in the cafe. It landed on its end and it rolled to me. Maybe if I had interpreted that dream as being from the Lord, I would have hightailed it out of here. I don't think the donuts are going to kill me. I mean, I guess if I ate too many, but... I know that's silly, but... The, the point is, we need to learn the Lord's voice. I don't imagine the only dreams Joseph ever had were the ones that were from the Lord. Yet when he had a dream from the Lord, he recognized it, and he acted on it. And these are radical actions. Do you know how far it is from where they were, from Bethlehem to Egypt? Anybody? Because I don't. I'm just kidding. I looked it up. It was, about, it was about 350 miles. That's a hassle in a car. We don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes we get these images that they're on, you know, camels or whatnot. But, for, you know, really, it was pretty customary just to, just to hoof it, get on foot. 350 miles. They left in the middle of the night, even. Not a lot of prep time. Let's make sure we have the most comfortable shoes available for our trip. (laughs) Let's get up and go 350 miles because the Lord said to go. I'm telling you, I'm not doing that unless I know it's the Lord. (laughs) But he knew the Lord's voice. Here's the good news. Is that no matter how inadequate you feel, we all have that potential to know the Lord's voice. Uh, John 10, 2, puts it this way. 27, I'm sorry. John 10, 27. Um, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. They listen to my voice. Now, here's the thing. You know, it takes practice. If you don't feel like you hear from the Lord, well, it starts with listening. It really is the Lord's nature to speak. It really is. If you even consider yourself to be a believer, you don't even come into that relationship without being, you know, called or invited, you know, from the Lord. You know, he's inviting all of us. But if you've responded to that call, that means that you've actually, you know, you've heard the invitation and you've responded. You've heard this probably several times here at the vineyard. Why would we think that it would be the Lord's nature to invite you to speak to you and then stop talking to you? It's the Lord's nature to speak. So what we need to do is we need to listen. And as we listen, when we hear, we need to respond. And the more we respond faithfully, then the more He's going to speak. The more we listen, the more we obey, the more He's going to speak. And it's just, it's something you practice and it's something you grow in. But it's really important, okay? But the good news is it's something we can do. So if you feel inadequate, what do I have to give to this person? Just know that one of the things you can do is you can model being a hearer and a doer for the Lord. As a result of Joseph's being able to to listen and to hear from the Lord, 
that put him in a position to be able to protect. He protected Jesus. He protected his family. Like what we just read. You know, there was harm. The Lord notified him there was harm. So he got out of there. It's important that if there's someone in your care, that when it's appropriate, protect them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I think it's pretty simple. But, yeah, if you have people in your care, whether they're kids or somebody else, it's important that we know. It really underscores the importance of knowing the Lord's voice, you know, because I'm not necessarily saying we need to shelter, you know, from every possible difficulty. But that's why it's important to know the Lord's voice so that when you see warning, you can respond appropriately. So knowing the Lord's voice, being a hearer and a doer, uh, and responding to the Lord obediently, that puts you in a possession to be a protector. And that's something Joseph was. He protected his family because he knew the Lord's voice and he was obedient. Uh, something else we see about you know, Joseph modeling faithfulness is that he taught Jesus what he knew. Anything Joseph had, he gave. Anything he knew, he taught Anything that he, you know, that he had, he, he, he gave, whatever it was. Whether it's vocationally, you know, spiritually, whatever he had, he didn't hold to himself. And you think, well, you know, it's kind of selfish to hold things back to yourself, but sometimes it's a, it's a recognition of our own inadequacy. You know, if we think, man, what do I have to give? So you don't even give the little thing that you have to give. What we see in the life of Joseph, and I don't think this is a stretch, I don't think this is an assumption, what we see is that everything that he had, he gave. He was a carpenter. He taught his son how to be a carpenter. Uh, We see, you know, we already mentioned it a minute ago, but, you know, in Matthew 13, 55, they say, when Jesus returns, they say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Mark 6, 3, they say, isn't this the carpenter? Okay? And... That may seem like a contradiction. I don't think it's a contradiction at all. I just think there's a lot of people there. Some of them say, hey, isn't that the son, carpenter's son? Some are saying, hey, isn't that the carpenter? And so what I think you see by those two things combined is that carpentry was part of this family's identity. It was something Joseph had, and he was known as a carpenter, and he passed that on to his son. And that became part of Jesus' identity. So what Joseph had... He gave to Jesus. And apparently Jesus made good work of it because it became part of his identity as well. It probably would have been easy for Joseph to say, Carpentry, this is the Son of God. What value is the Lord going to have in carpentry? But he didn't keep it to himself. And clearly, Jesus took what Joseph gave him and he used it. Whatever you have, give. Whatever you know, teach. Um, this, is, this is something that can run a little counter-cultural, counter to our culture as well, because we live in such a, uh, such a competitive you know, society that you know, we, we don't want to put ourselves in a position to where we can be passed up, and sometimes that even seeps into our own family dynamics, you know? You know, some of us have that, you know, level of insecurity that you know, we kind of don't want to see our kids, you know, bump us off the, off the pedestal. And so, you know, yeah, if you're a business person, I'm not saying go out and share all your, you know, your best. You know, there's, there's a time and a place, you know. But our problem is, is that we can't often even recognize our competitors from our friends. I also don't think we realize that it actually looks good. This is my opinion, but I think it actually looks good if, you're, if you become known as a person that knows how to duplicate yourself. Even in the marketplace, even in the secular marketplace, if you can reproduce yourself, I think that has value. But in the kingdom, it's invaluable. I mean, it's a great commission. Go and make disciples. Being able to duplicate yourself is a huge deal. And so the mentality we should have, regardless of what the culture says, but what the mentality we should have is that the people that are coming under us, the, uh, their floor should be our ceiling. That where they're going to start is with everything I know and everything I have. I'm going to give my kids everything I have so that that's going to be their floor. And they're only going to go up from there. 
And so I think we see that in Joseph. He didn't let any insecurity keep him from giving everything that he had to the Lord. Now, there's a few pieces of good news here. You know, some of you, some of us, you know, may feel, I just don't have anything of value. I just don't have anything to give. You know, what do I have to pass on to anybody? So my first encouragement is that don't be so quick to devalue the things that you have. You know, if you are, you know, if you have a relationship with the Lord, if you've received the Lord, then you should know He has plans for you. He's going to give you things. He's going to give you things to pass on. And so the first thing I want to encourage you to do is realize that you probably already have more than, than what you realize. The other thing I want to say, and hopefully this will encourage you, is I want you to know that it's never too late. It's never too late to develop things to pass on. You know, what, what do I have to give, man? My, my finances are a mess. My family history has known nothing but debt. My relationships have all been awful. You know, what do I have to model? What do I have to pass on? Well, it's not too late. Why don't you take on the responsibility of saying, whatever this tradition is, it stops here, and I'm going to build a better inheritance for the people coming behind me. If it's finances, well, you know, just, just grind. You know, find somebody that knows what they're doing. Learn. Practice. It's not too late. It's not too too late to develop something worthy of passing on to the people coming um, behind you. So I think this is a big deal. This is something we see in Joseph. Joseph can gather something valuable enough to hand down to the Son of God, then I think we can take from that that we surely can be able to uh, gather things of value to hand to the people behind us. Uh, Something else we see, you know, Joseph modeling faithfulness is that he really, you know, apparently they lived in such a way that they enabled Jesus to pursue his, his, his calling and his destiny without even understanding it. Uh, Let's skip ahead, uh, Seth, Luke 2, if you can pull up verses 49 and and 50. Uh, This is the story where, you know, they had been at the temple and we're going to bounce around in in some of these verses here. Uh, But this is where um, they had been to the temple they had left in their their party had left and they had gotten down the road a day before they realized that Jesus wasn't with them they came back and they questioned him and you know they said you know man we were anxious you know we were we were worried what you know what what happened there this is Joseph and Mary talking to Jesus and he says why were you searching for me he asked didn't you know that i had to be in my father's house and verse 50 says but they did not understand what he was saying to them They didn't get it, but yet clearly they lived in such a way that Jesus was able to walk in his destiny, even though they didn't really completely grasp grasped, you know, what it was that Jesus was going to need to do. Even, even with some of the prophecies, even some of the things they had heard, they still didn't quite understand. And for us, what that means is, we don't necessarily need to know specifically, exactly every detail of what our kids are and uh, what our kids are going to be called to do to be able to live in such a way that we can help them find what that is and to live it out. Uh, go on to the go on to the next verse there, Seth. Uh, one more, sorry. Oh, whoops. <laughs> There's not one. Uh, yeah, let me see. I think I have it here. All right, sorry. I left that one out by accident. Um, r- shortly after that, it says that from there, you know, Jesus was obedient to them. Okay, and these kind of tie in together. We live in a way that people can explore their, that our kids can, you know, discover their destiny and their calling. Jesus was obedient to them. We see here that Jesus was about his father's business, Right? I mean, he stayed behind, he taught in the temple. So we see Jesus' uh, willingness, you know, that if he saw something the Lord, you know, wanted him to do, that he was going to do it. 
Yet we also see that Jesus was able to be obedient to his parents. So what I think, well, what I take from that is, Joseph and Mary lived in such a way that Jesus didn't have to choose between being obedient to the Father or being obedient to his parents. That they were in tune enough with the, with the voice of the Lord, that they modeled you know, their, their life in such a way, that Jesus didn't have to choose between being obedient to his heavenly Father and being obedient to his earthly parents. That's good news because that's something we can do. Even if we don't understand the callings and the destinies of our kids, we can follow the Lord in such a way that our kids can be obedient to us without having to choose whether or not they're going to follow the Lord. And we don't have to understand everything to do that. I think that's good news. One more thing I want to point out. Um, and this is, uh, let's uh, stay in Luke, in that same passage there, verse 39, uh, Luke 2. This kind of blew my mind uh, when, I, when I realized it, but, um, yeah, go on. Go to 40. Oh, well, all right, sorry. I, I, I put the wrong reference in. Sorry, Seth. Um, the, the story here, like I just mentioned, they went to the temple, their party left, okay? Their friend, there were friends and family with them. They were gone for a day before they realized Jesus wasn't with them, okay? What I see there is that even from Jesus' childhood, what was being modeled for him was the importance of actually being in community. If we went on a trip, it would probably take no more than five minutes to notice our kids. <laughs> I hope not that long. But they were in such a community with such trusted people that they went 24 hours before they realized there was an issue. First of all, to me, that speaks that there's, a big, there's quite the crowd, all right? A lot of family and a lot of friends. But not just that, but that they were trusted family and friends. That they would go for a day without seeing their son, and that they were okay. They trusted the people that they were with. And I know, you know, that, that particular situation, you know, you, they lost their son. <laughs> That's not maybe the greatest example, but I do think that it's telling that they were with a group of people that they trusted that much that they could go for 24 hours and not realize their son wasn't with them. And so I think what they were modeling there for their family, for their son, is community is important. And we see that in Jesus' life, all through his life, all through his ministry. He had his disciples. He had this inner circle. He had other people. He modeled that for us. And that's something about being a part of the, of, you know, the family of the kingdom, is that we have the opportunity to live in community. And, you know, for some of us, it comes naturally and it's easy to find. Maybe your personalities are such that you don't have a problem going out and, and meeting people. And for some of us, it's really a grind. Some of us, it's really hard to establish a sense of community. You know, the, the good news is, is I don't know that it particularly matters if it's a small group or a large group, but you need community. If that was modeled for Jesus and if that was something that Jesus lived out, that's something that we need to fight for. No matter how hard or how easily it comes, we need to be after establishing community in our lives. We need the encouragement. We need the accountability. It's a good thing. It's a worthy pursuit. And this is something that Joseph modeled, and I think this is something that we can take from his life. Community is important. All right, so Joseph modeled faithfulness. We saw that he he wasn't afraid to go against the culture. The last thing I want to hit on today is regarding kingdom adoption. It's pretty clear, you know, we've talked about all these things that Joseph did for Jesus. What he modeled, how he treated him, he gave him everything that he had, did everything that he could. It's pretty clear that Joseph treated Jesus as though he were his own flesh and blood. Is that pretty easy to see? And for me, that speaks to the Lord's idea and concept of adoption. Uh, if we go all the way back to Matthew, 
1, verse 16. This is, you know, the very first uh, of Matthew, uh, it lists the genealogy of Jesus, okay? Going back, you know, to, let me see, where does it start? Abraham? And go down to, to David and then all the way down. And so we see in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there's a reference uh, to Jesus being called, in one example, the line. He's from the line, L-I-N-E, line of Judah. And in Revelations, he's referred to as the lion, L-I-O-N, of Judah. Okay? But this just kind of dawned on me for the first time because I've always had that part of the identity of the Lord. He's from this, he's from this lineage. This is his genealogy. This is where he... Where he, he, where he came from. So this is the tail end of the genealogy. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. You see, it's actually Joseph who's biologically from the line of Judah. The truth is, Jesus was actually adopted into the line of Judah. Yet that distinction's never made. That's his identity. He's from the line of Judah. And I think that's just sort of a telling part of the Lord's heart towards adoption is that you're part of the family. This is Jesus' line. This is where he's from, you know? Forget biology. He's part of the line of, line of Judah. And I think that reveals the Lord's heart towards adoption. And I think we see that lived out in Joseph's, Joseph's life in the way he treats Jesus. The forget biology. He's, you know, I'm going to raise him as one of my own. Romans, and this is significant because this is, this is our relationship to the Lord. Romans, uh, Romans 8, 15. And then uh, there's a verse in Galatians as well. But in Romans 8, 15, it says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. If you have a relationship with Jesus, if you consider yourself to be a believer, what's happened is you've been adopted into the kingdom. Now, I believe the Lord breathes life into all of us, but because of sin, you know, it's like we've been divorced from the Lord. That's what sin does, okay? And so all of us are in need of being adopted back into into the kingdom. We need to be adopted sons and daughters of the Lord. So it's important that we grasp what the Lord's heart actually is towards adoption. I think it's very important. You maybe know people you know, who, who have, you know, have been adopted. Um, and, and I'm sure you know, people have all different types of experiences as, you know, as being adopted you know, children. And you would maybe meet some whose experience would be something like this. Yeah, it was, you know, I, I was adopted, and it was cool, you know. They fed me, took me to school, my needs were met. There was a crisis, they helped me out. Yeah, it was cool, I appreciate, you know, my adopted family. That's okay, you know, that's okay. Sometimes we have sort of that same experience as believers. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I've been adopted by the Lord. I'm going to get to go to heaven. I know that if I have a time of crisis, I have somewhere I can go. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I appreciate it. What we fail to realize is how much more there is available to us. The Lord's heart towards adoption is this, is that we be seamlessly grafted into the family of God. That as adopted sons and daughters, that we have everything available to us as though we weren't adopted at all. I think this is a big deal. Um, Ray, Hollenbach, Ray and Kim. Uh, you know, they, they've adopted uh, a daughter from, from China. And if you spend any measure of time with them, much less if you talk to them, but you don't even really have to talk to them. You can just observe. There's no difference. You know, that's an adoption done right. 
She's a part of that family. Joe and Evie might even say they favor her. <laughs> I mean, they dote on her. You know, they love her. They do way more than just meet her needs. She is their daughter. Right? That's adoption done right. And, you know, that's what, that's what Jesus does for us. You know, sometimes we just we, we act or we live in such a way that we feel like we're second-class citizens or maybe that we're, you know, we're stepchildren to the, you know, to the Lord. But that's not his heart. Yeah, that's not, that's not his heart for us. Um, yeah, you see, we, we, have, we have at our fingertips the full inheritance of the kingdom of God of any child of God. It's more than just uh, more than just going to heaven. It's more than just having a place to go in a time of crisis. See, in Jesus, we, we do, we do. We have a Savior. But we also have available to us, we have a destiny. If we're adopted sons and daughters, we have a destiny. We have gifts. We have blessings. We have calling. We have purpose. We have hope, we have joy, we have community. We don't always have it easy, but we always have a way. We have a Father who absolutely loves us. We have a Lord who is willing and able to help mold us in the best possible versions of ourselves. These are things that we have available of being adopted into the family of God. Who wouldn't want to be adopted into this family? And this is something we see in the life of Joseph. Just as he treated Jesus exactly like one of his own, so the Lord wants to treat you. He wants you to live as though you were one of his very own kids. Because that's the reality. Yeah. Uh, ministry team, come on up.